I don't know how much backpacking you've done. <laughs> Enough to know that 100 pounds is a lot of weight. Yeah. That is a lot of weight. The last thing I want is the unborn to look back and say, wow, what a bunch of chumps. Hello, Boulder and the wider world. This is the Sharing Boulder podcast. My name is Philip Ogren, and for episode 14, I spoke with David Takahashi on a Zoom call to discuss his candidacy for Boulder City Council. David is running as a climate change champion and sees his role in fighting the climate crisis as a way to address the needs of an important contingent of underserved people, future unborn generations. He articulated that every decision we make as individuals or as a city need to be made in the context of the climate crisis and our urgent need to address this pressing issue. Our conversation ranged from how to make our houses and our city carbon neutral, the housing shortage, bicycle highways, resilient communities, and how church parking lots could be repurposed for affordable housing, among many other subjects. I was surprised when we realized we had been talking for over an hour because it felt like we were just getting started. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with David Takahashi. Hello, David. Uh, thank, welcome to Sharing Boulder. Uh, thank you for taking time. You said that you've been really busy with City Council, so it means a lot to me that uh, you, you've made time for this. Um, I'd just be great if you introduced yourself and tell us a little bit about why you're running for City Council. Okay, I, uh, I am David Takahashi, and I am running as a climate champion. And the reason I think that is important is that the world, um, Ida, um, heat domes over Seattle, I mean, the, the systems are just screaming, um, I'm bursting at the seams. I, I believe that we have a uh, past that has led us to this point and it is no longer serving us. And we need to take action to um, actually change our culture um, to one that um, can create some abundance while honoring planetary limitations. So this whole idea of people, planet, and profit are, um, are, are really important to keep, keep in mind. And the idea of a climate champion is that all decisions that are made need to pass through the lens of, is this serving the people, the planet, and profit. And that is not happening right now. Um, you're gonna hear a lot of talk about climate, 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 but I am actually um, a doer. I'm not a talker. Cool, cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. I. Um... I'm really concerned about climate and I want to dive into that subject uh, in a bit. But uh, sure. I was telling you just a bit ago that the, the name of this podcast is Sharing Boulder. And um, I'd like to start something new where I ask every guest on the show, uh, how would you make Boulder more inclusive or what should Boulder do to become more inclusive? Okay. Um, you know, when you start to talk about inclusive, you start to uh, try to identify populations that are underserved and which, or, or another way to put it is, who is not in the room that needs to be in the room? Yeah. yeah? So to me, it's really simple answer. And that is those that we need to be more inclusive with are the generations that have not yet been born. Wow. And um, that uh, at a certain point, I thought about if I had a 
granddaughter sitting on my lap, looking up and saying, well, grandfather, when, when you knew the, the planet was, was disintegrating, well, you know, the systems were breaking up, what did you do? And I realized this was like 11 years ago. I realized I didn't have a very good answer. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I right? mean, I, I don't so, so I said, I got to work on this answer. I have to work on the answer that my granddaughter would be proud of hearing. And I have to say that last September, the granddaughter appeared. So Congratulations. that that moment is actually going to pass at some point. And so does that Yeah, no, I really appreciate that that answer. I I um I I know for me, like I've I in the past I found myself being very cynical and talking about how the world is seems to be burning down and and sort of like uh, kind of, you know, I've, I found myself in different conversations where I was just sort of bantering about it like it was funny or like it was a sport to be cynical about it instead of like actually like answering the question you just raised, like what have you done about it? Well, I, I kind of realized I hadn't done anything except just sort of be cynical. Huh you know and uh so um i know that's sort of not that's not what you said you said you wanted to um have an answer for your granddaughter yeah that's that i think yeah. that's that's beautiful um so yeah in, inclusion uh that that's an interesting um answer because uh usually we think about it in terms of the people who are present in our society, absolutely, who's who's included and who's not, and um, who have been excluded you, 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 and do yeah. not have a voice, and do not have, um, 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 yeah, they don't have power. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I can see that we're heading towards uh, climate change in our conversation. Uh, <laughs> no matter what I ask you, so we should dive right into yeah the climate change. So, so um, uh, as a as a city council person, what do you think are the top priorities for addressing the climate crisis? Okay, um, well, I I believe that we've got to get off of fossil fuel and we've got to do it as soon as we can. And that includes the indirect um, fossil fuel um, contributed by our electricity, which is going to stay on coal uh, until 2039. And that's just way too late. But um, okay, so in terms of going, um, making a pledge to uh, go carbon neutral. And what does that mean? That means that our power is coming from either sunlight hitting our roofs or wind turning turbines or rushing water turning turbines. Yeah. Um, and then having your um, living situation um, uh, freed from the shackles of fossil fuel. And in order um, to get there, the, the first step is to electrify. So don't worry about where the, the energy is coming from, but get your life off of fossil fuel. And you just kind of pick away at this. Um, I'm not um, evangelical about it. You know, I think by the year 2050, um, by, by the year 2040, we should be carbon neutral. But if we have to go to 2050, uh, I, I can live with that. The reason I say this is when you get into trying to um, help people 
make the, the switch, um, what they'll say is, oh, I, I just put in a gas furnace. And, and so what you say is, okay, well, you know what? In 25 years, it's going to need to be replaced and it could be even sooner, yeah. okay? But don't, um, don't, don't sweat the things and, and, until you know they need to be replaced, but when they're replaced, make the right decision. Yeah. So, um, so you have, you know, basically you've got your heating, you've got, you've got your heating water, you've got your stove and oven, uh, you've got sometimes your uh, dryer, um, you've got, what else runs on gas? Your, your, your barbecue, you know? Yeah. So you just look at your life and you say, there's this interesting thing um, that if you, if you take the average um, uh, American carbon usage per year, it's around 17 what they call metric tons, which looks like a modest two-story, um, 2,000 square foot home, okay? 17 of those is what we, we typically use as a developed. So a, met consumer. a metric, one metric ton is like the size of that house? Yeah, and there's, and 17, so there's 17 of them. Of them. Okay. Okay. If you do the math and reduce it to pounds and and days, it works out to be a hundred pounds a day. I don't know how much backpacking you've done. <laughs> Enough to know that a hundred pounds is a lot of weight. Yeah. That is a lot of weight, and yeah. and we're strapping it on our back every day. Yeah. The um, carrying capacity of the earth, that magic, if we, if we produced this much, the earth could actually turn it um, into oxygen and carbohydrates is about three metric tons, which resolves to about 12 pounds. So as a backpacker, you know what 12 pounds feels like that that feels like i'm walking on air yeah it's i mean it'll cut into your shoulders after a few hours but it's it's a lot easier than 100 pounds that's for sure i mean 100 um, pounds dude yeah even like yeah. on the floor you can't get up yeah. you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so um so well, that's our target our target is to get from 100 pounds a day down to 12. Yeah, that's right. Um, I they, I think that's called the twelve percent rule, actually. Is it? Um, okay. Yeah. So um, uh, I read a book on this recently, Peter Calthorpe, um, "Urbanism in the Age of Climate Change." Oh wow! And and it talks about how yeah we need to we need to get down to twelve percent carbon. Um, and but but actually the way I I kind of read it was um, and that this this may appeal to you too, but um, uh, you know, I think I think um, it would be unrealistic to hope that we can continue consuming and heating and all, you know use, using the same amount of energy, but just switch it to electric and then switch switch the electric to renewables. No, I'm like, with you. Yeah, there's there's a there's a huge thing there, about what's called a nega a megawatt. You know about a megawatt? I, I know yeah. all about megawatts yeah, for sure. I also know they have they need to have value. Okay, so I need to be able to say, I produced a thousand megawatts, and, and I'd like some credit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, they're, 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 the, the, the game that like David Adamson taught me is number one, figure out how to use less. Yep. Number two, figure out how to hold on to the, the little you use as long as you possibly can. And three, 
figure out how to produce that little that you're using, that you're holding on to as long as you can. And so the thing that comes to mind when you say that is like the heat in your house, for example. Yeah. You don't, you don't just let it out the front door or, uh, or, out, or out of that squeaky. Would, that would be silly. I mean, yeah. if you want to do that, go live in a barn. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So exactly. So, um, so it's like there's, there's um, conservation. Well, it's, um, limiting your use, conserving what you use, and then producing whatever you need. Yeah. Kind of in that order, because you don't, like you say, you don't want to um, produce all this great energy and then leave your front door open all, all winter. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and it, it, um, the, the, the way you said that reminds me of like how I think about stuff that you buy, you know, you, you, um, you need to really stop buying so much stuff because there's a lot of embodied energy and environmental um, waste, you know, environmental impact in that. Um, but then the stuff that you have, um, you know, like, like kind of like you were saying about the, the gas heater, you know, you don't, I've got this, this sewing machine that's uh, 80 years old uh it's got it's it's like built like a tank it's really you know uh heavy metal you know it's like an anvil yeah it's like an anvil and i just kind of want to use that thing as long as it keeps working because i don't want to incur the uh the environmental cost of, of buying a new one so i want to fix it and repair it that's, you know that's called um uh, honoring the embodied energy yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah um yeah anyways um yeah yeah no, I'm with you. Um, what next? Yeah, well, um, so I love all of that stuff. And, um, you know, uh, w- when you start talking about reducing your energy, like, I-, I would love to just geek out about like ways that people can personally, you know, change their their habits and their lifestyles. And I think that's like, I'm super, I'm super interested in like lowering my carbon footprint. Um, and as an individual, um, and, and so we, we could go in that direction, uh, but I'm also like, like kind of systemically or like as a city, uh, ah. what, what are, what are policies that we put into place that encourage that? I mean, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, obviously maybe you'll just show up and be a role model, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. but, uh, but hopefully, uh, um, I think it takes more some, than that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, we're, we're going to stray almost immediately into the idea of sticks and carrots. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, there are ways to do this where you're wielding the stick. Yep. And sometimes that's appropriate. But there are other times that you're, you're you know, you're wielding the carrot. Yep. And you are. Um, I think you wield the stick and you dangle the carrot. um, that is one strategy okay um i believe that it is the incentives not the penalties that lead to the, the 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 behavior we want but on the other hand when gas is ten dollars a gallon there aren't going to be as many drivers on the road that's right. Right. So yes, you're 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 absolutely right. Um, but so your question is to me, what kind of incentives can we offer people that um, will uh, promote the behavior that we want, right? And so one of them is to think about all of like your megawatt idea, okay? What if megawatts had value and you could say, my house produces a thousand megawatts a day and that actually has value so that somebody looking for a building might say, oh, I want the one that produces the greatest number of megawatts. Okay, so then you stray into 
well, what if building efficiency, which is what we're talking about, that um, um, using less and conserving it as long as you can is basically the formula for building efficiency. What if building efficiency was um, on, a, uh, on a sticker, just like a mile per gallon um, sticker is on a car that you're thinking of buying? And yeah. that you look at this thing and it says um, 1,000, right? And that number, that 1,000 is the, the, the same frame, no matter if it's a tiny home, a duplex, a triplex, a, 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 a small little ranch, um, a McMansion, you know, whatever, uh, a, a commercial building, it was just like mile per gallon, you know what that means, right? Yeah. So that would be an incentive because now your efficient house has real value. It is, you can compare directly. Well, and I love the, I love the idea of just <clears throat> having the information you know, like it's like nutrition information on food. Like imagine if, imagine if you didn't, if you couldn't see the, you know, like the, the what it. the, yeah, the nutrition profile is like, like we ought to, we ought to start. Um, I love that this idea. We ought to, we ought to be like, it ought to be like front and center in our minds when we walk into buildings, having awareness of what kind of building we're in related to this, this, profile of I assume it could be a, a bunch of metrics that that we could absolutely we could, think yeah. about a MLS a multiple listing service that included how much energy this thing creates how much energy this thing uses um, how much um, um, heating costs in, in, in the winter and how much cooling costs in the summer and, and you had all this information, part of the listing for the house. Yeah. And when appraisals are done, that is taken into consideration. Yeah. So now you've got incentive to do the right thing because your house becomes more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And that well, is called the carrot. I, I love this, uh, this line of um, um, inquiry here. Um, and well, here, here's, here's one reaction I have to it. And that is, um, um, in, in Peter Calthorpe's book, uh, the, talking about the 12% solution, he, uh, he talks about how um, uh, there's this notion of green sprawl, which is basically, um, we're going to keep doing everything that we're currently doing, only we're just going to do it greener. And um, part of what you said uh, echoes that for me just a little bit, like, oh. like we're basically gonna keep living in the same kinds of structures, driving the same amount of distances. We're just mm -hmm. gonna do it in a greener way. You know, we'll mm -hmm. electrify our cars, we'll electrify our stoves and, mm -hmm. and it'll all just be more efficient. But um, uh, he, his, his big point is that we need to go from green sprawl to green urbanism where we have a much more efficient land use. And so it's not just about the structures we embody uh, in terms of their efficiency, but it's also their proximity to, you know, like being able, 15 minute neighborhoods, for example, being able to walk where you need to go instead of uh, driving everywhere. Sure. Um, Development that, that along of, transit corridors. For sure, yeah. So maybe and, just- And having that built into um, a local economy so that, I mean, you, you know, your, your money flows around your 15 minute neighborhood. And it, 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 it's kind of like, the way I conserve energy is the way a walkable community conserves its capital. Yeah. Hold on to it as long as you possibly can before you export it to the big bank. Yep. Yep. I like that. Um, 
Yeah, so that, that reminds me, you use this phrase, uh, people, planet, profits. Uh-huh. So uh, maybe, maybe give us a, a more um, uh, nuanced or, or, you know, when you talk about profits, uh, that's often like a, like a, a swear word, you know, like you're not supposed to talk mm-hmm. about profits if, if you're a good liberal, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe you don't think of yourself as a liberal. I, I, I don't know. If you're neoliberal, that's all there is, you know, I mean, sure. Yeah. So yeah, maybe just talk about what, what that, what that word profit means to you and, and in the, in the sense of, you know, r- running a city. Okay. So, um, I'm actually a Buddhist. Cool. And one of the tenets of Buddhism is do no harm. Okay? If you can't do better, the bare minimum is do no harm. So um, what you're talking about is um, reimagining profit as doing no harm. So what does that mean? That means that we're on a finite planet. How you think we're gonna get infinite profit out of a finite planet boggles. I I get cognitive dissonance even considering it. So the idea is that an acknowledgement that we live on a finite planet. Think of it as a Petri dish, right? So um, there's just so much medium in the Petri dish. And if we extract all of the nutrient, guess what happens? The the Petri dish collapses. It's a collapse, okay? And we look back in history and we go, look, there's that collapse, there's that collapse, there's that, you know, and, and, and um, do we want to um, repeat history once again? No. So we, we, we need to figure out if we take, we need to reciprocate. So, so that profit could be what you give away as much as what you take. So it's, it's cultural. How do you, how do you ground that into like daily life? I don't, I don't, that kind of sounds theoretical to me. I don't quite know how to apply it. Okay. So um, when, when we, when we looked at our house, when we um, decided we wanted to balance the equation so that um, we took, but we returned. Um, Our thought process took us to, well, the the way power production has traditionally been done is you put panels on your roof and then they create electricity, which you put out onto the grid and the input from the grid is what you always had. So you don't know what is coming and where it came from. You know you're putting clean energy out, but you don't know what's coming in. Okay, so for us, totally unacceptable. Okay, so we needed to say, okay, so we have solar panels on our roof that is creating this thing called direct current electricity. And what we would like to do is in the morning, the sun comes up, we start to, to um, feel, feel the, the, the energy being created. What do we do with this energy? So we say, well, okay, um, is, are they asking for any, uh, are they demanding any power in the house? You know, they turned on the, the range or the microwave or, you know, the tea kettle, whatever. Um, 
if if there's low demand and I'm creating more energy than the demand, then do my batteries need to be charged? Okay, so then it's like, okay, it's a game of if they ask for energy, give it, give it to them. Otherwise, put the surplus into the batteries until the batteries are full. When the batteries are full, you say, okay, batteries full, they're not asking for energy. Let's put it out on the grid and give it to somebody. So then your day goes by and Oh, by the way, you know, you kind of start changing your um, routines to do those expensive things like washing clothes um, at midday when you're like creating all sorts of energy. Okay. So um, your life changes a little bit. But the other thing that happens is the sun goes down. Okay, and when the sun goes down, um, you're not creating energy anymore, but you've stored it in your battery. And on kind of this side of the house, everything is kind of still DC until we have a surplus, in which case it gets converted to AC and then it goes out to the grid, right? So at night, the sun goes down and I have to, the, the house is AC. So I, I need to convert that stored energy from a battery. You know, it's like your, 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 your little flashlight batteries, DC, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so you convert it to AC and then you use that up and then you spend the evening burning energy you, 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 you capture during the day and in the morning, it starts all over again. It's interesting because I, I uh, rent a house that's pretty conventional and I don't have any intention or incentive to like make it carbon neutral or have solar panels. And my, my routine is kind of flipped, right? We, we try not to burn energy at 2 p.m. when the AC is running and the grid is is working its hardest, we try to do stuff late at night. Uh-huh. You know? So it's kind of an interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, it is. That, that and that's thing. the beauty of, of what's about to happen. What about is about to happen is that um, the, the peak of our production is exactly that time. Yeah. And this whole idea of there's, um, I've done work with churches Okay, and churches have big, you know, they're trying to heat and cool large spaces. So it is very, very difficult to find a um, operational church that isn't using big gobs of energy when energy is really um, um, at, at a premium. So what the utilities do is charge you a tariff because you are endangering their ability to to give everybody energy when everyone asks for it okay so when when you start to um talk to them about solarization what you're really talking about is we're getting you off of the tariff and you can now take that premium that they're charging you and turn it into church programming which is a much more value to people than <laughs> yeah. exporting it yeah. to minnesota yeah right yeah so so when you think about the city so you know i said we want a carbon neutral city okay so Part of that carbon neutral city is we say, well, renewable energy is actually becoming a commodity. Okay, so why would we pay $9,000 a megawatt hour, like during Texas, um, when we could be getting it for free from our roof? 
Okay. So, um, so if it's a commodity, then we should be able to go out on the free market and buy energy at the lowest price a supplier is willing to sell it for and still make a profit. So what that would equate to is taking our utility bill for electricity and gas and having it, paying half as much. So Boulder is in the situation where we are hemorrhaging business because it's cheaper to do business in Longmont or Broomfield or Superior or wherever, okay? So we're hemorrhaging, that's tax dollars, right? So um, if we were to go carbon neutral and have our utility cost and provide community uh, broadband, then mm -hmm. we have just created a major business mag magnet that draws the jobs and the business back into Boulder where it used to be. Well, that's interesting. So I know a lot of a lot of people who are um, concerned about having more housing in town. One of the things that they often say is, well, if we just had a better jobs to housing balance, you know, it would actually be better if we had fewer jobs in town. Um, and so I, uh, I, <laughs> I'm not really a proponent of that. I actually just think we need a lot more housing to house oh, the yeah. workers that work here in, in the city. We're, um, we're at about 0.42 right now. There are 0.42 dwellings for, job. for, for a job. Yeah. Okay. And it's something like double. So there's like 40,000 um, dwellings in Boulder, mm -hmm. 40,000 plus. And there's something like 80,000 jobs. Yeah. So um, if we really wanted to, what that tells me is for every property, if you can increase the density double, and keep it affordable, then we will achieve that balance. And the 60,000 cars streaming into Boulder could spend the two hours they're commuting, enjoying life with their families here. Oh man. I, Why I, wouldn't we I do this? Well, because uh, we wouldn't do it because there's a lot of single family homeowners that will be very upset with any proposal that sounds anything like that. <laughs> uh, okay, but what But, but I'm if, totally for it. I, I, what I just, if, just to play what if my instead of taxing the building, we tax the land? So if we doubled the density, each of those would pay half as much property tax. I love that idea. In fact, we need to we need to is be that, we, is that we, the carrot or what? That's a, I'm not sure if that's a stick or a carrot, but it's it's a it's a great idea in my opinion. Uh, I love that idea because it's really the land that's so valuable. Um, Look, it, you know, you buy the people from California come into Boulder. They're buying these old houses. They're scraping them and putting up these McMansions built. You know, I mean. That's it's not the building you're buying here. Yeah, it's right. it's it's the land that was colonized. Yeah, I made that point earlier to someone on Slack today that that you know if you can if you if you buy a house in Boulder that's nine hundred fifty thousand dollars that you could have paid one hundred fifty thousand dollars for in Cedar Rapids or Council Bluffs or somewhere. You, you kind of yeah, you kind of have the sense that it's not really the house that you're buying. Yeah. You know, the house is part of it for sure. Oh, yeah. But but uh, but yeah, the land is really valuable. And I feel like um, we really undervalue the land because we way underutilize it. And um, we have to rethink. We have to rethink this whole thing. You know, the other thing that's really important about this idea of the missing middle housing mm -hmm. is the idea of getting development that is smaller scale. Yeah. So it's not the big 
construction houses that are doing these mega projects like down at the, the transportation Boulder Junction. It's the little guys, maybe even the little um, put some equity into this um, so that the but you must you must know this is music to David Adamson's ears, right? Oh, he, great. He he loves to. Um, I mean, yeah, his, we riff. His, I mean, yeah, he, his whole his whole uh, um, you know life work right now is trying to figure out how to make gentle infill in the city work, so that you could have micro condos in established neighborhoods. And I I just absolutely. think that's such a that's such a beautiful approach to include people into our established neighborhoods. Rather than, Absolutely. yeah, rather than having, you know, huge, um, yeah, I mean, I think density can be really beautiful and we, really We can go both ways. Yeah. I mean, we, we actually can. And, and um, along transit corridors, uh, you know, we can do buildup and, and it'll yeah. be fine, right? Yep. Um, it, it will feel like San Francisco. Right. Yeah, I, it, it'll I feel agree. like France. Yeah, but I, I would hate to um, to to let you off the hook on just transit corridors because I feel like when when eighty five percent of the city is single family zoned, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of opportunity for for infill that's not nearly so dense as. And I, I like the idea of density and we do on, it, on transit yeah. corridors, but um, but I also feel like there's a lot of opportunity for more density gentle density mm -hmm. throughout the entire city mm -hmm. and and uh that yeah. i think that's fine but uh i think that invites this thing that is menacing which is parking uh, so you get off of the transit corridors and suddenly it's like i got to get in my car to go get yeah. a loaf of bread yeah and if i got to get in my car and 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 I've doubled my density, then suddenly you have twice as much parking. Yeah, well, that kind of that kind of comes back to my point about green sprawl earlier, and that uh -huh. is, we can't really keep doing everything we're doing now and okay. just do it greener. I think I think we're going to have okay. to like as we increase the number of people living in our neighborhoods, decrease the number of cars, and and we have to like learn how to not drive nearly as much. Yeah. Like structure our lives around our our fifteen minutes. That's, a, that's a tough nut, dude. That <laughs> that is a tough nut, and and I'm 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 all for it. I mean, the, yeah. I mean, a minute ago or, you were or talking car about, share. Just yeah. like on your block, there's a car that's available. I mean, that's the David Adamson approach, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So th there are creative ways. I mean, we are such a rich, rich, I mean, in terms of um, rich in terms of our ability to be creative here in Boulder, we are so intelligent. We, 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 we may be one of the, we may be more intelligent than Berkeley, California. <laughs> we, we might be because of all the science labs that are around here. Um, I think it's and, fair to say, yeah, we have a lot of creative thinkers, a oh, lot of problem solvers. Oh, um, it's uh, breathtaking. Yeah. And and when you set them loose on this kind of thing, it is so surprising. I mean, there are things that you and I will never, ever imagine that our public will latch on to. Well, I have a, I feel like I have a pretty big imagination. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty excited about like if we can just kind of get started okay. with with. So have you imagined the... bicycle freeways? I love that idea. Have you imagined <laughs> bicycle freeways? Um, well, I guess when you when you when I when I think about 15 minute neighborhoods, the notion of a bicycle freeway doesn't seem super important to me. Okay. Uh, you know, like I I don't. In fact, but if you I, work downtown. Yeah, right. Well, and and US 36, you know, has something like a bicycle freeway. I don't know if that's what you had in mind, but I've 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 put a lot of no, miles on that. No, no, I'm yeah. I'm talking about everything from kids on their little push bikes 
to state-of-the-art electric bikes and yep. the the I, I don't know if you've noticed the the, the electric skateboards going yeah, yeah. 30 miles an hour around town yeah i mean we, we you know you know i'm talking about slow lanes and i'm talking about really really fast lanes yeah and yeah. and i'm talking about not being on the creek path and hearing on your left on your right on your left on your right and and just you know just saying this is unsafe this is yeah I, I mean i i agree i i um so i don't have a car i bike almost everywhere okay. um, my my wife does have a car so i don't want to sound like i'm unfamiliar with cars and i never drive uh, but huh? She, she uses the car more than me. And I, 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 I try to bike as much as I can. And um, yeah, I, I, I love this idea of a bicycle freeway because one thing I've often said is that, you know, um, Boulder is a very bike friendly town relative to other North American cities. But if it's, you live- It's it, unsafe. But if you live your bicycle. life on a bike, if you live your life on a bike, like I do, you realize pretty quickly, we are second class citizens pretty Absolutely. pretty distant you know this yeah. this city is handed over to cars we make so much space for them and, and so we back, need back, to, i'm yeah back to your point you, about parking rethink it yeah back to your point about parking i feel like you know if, if you have infill around the city if you don't change anything else you could have a lot more parking and a lot of problems with everybody's cars but i i just feel like we have to really like use carrots and sticks to get people out of their cars and restructure our neighborhoods so that we, we bike and walk most places rather than, you know, like I live in a neighborhood that's close to lots of stuff. I live uh, near Fraser Meadows and, okay. and um, I can walk to Safeway. And I like to point out to people that my neighborhood is, is walkable, not by design. It's just walkable by proximity. Okay. But but by design, it's still completely handed over to automobiles. I, I live oh, on, yeah. a, I live on I mean, a street that's 40 feet building there is versus how much parking there is. And that parking is impermeable. It's like oh, yeah. we get a hard rain and and that is all water that has to go somewhere. Right? Yeah. So we really need to rethink the whole deal. That 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 meadows um, shopping area, any of the shopping areas, you look at the buildings versus parking and you just say this is insane and, yeah well and know, that that that, that one think in particular you I, should I, get a credit for not having a parking place i mean talk about megawatts yeah. you know someone's got to yeah. pay to maintain those empty parking, parking lots. lots yeah there's i was i i sometimes joke there's only one thing that makes me more upset than a full parking lot and that is an empty one and <laughs> and uh yeah, the, yeah. The, that that parking lot at, at that at, at the Meadows Center, I have never seen it close to capacity. You go there so at the busiest one out. The busiest time of the year, it's still at fifty percent at most. Check this one out. Imagine that you own a church, and you've got this big parking I, lot. I'm like a that is used <laughs> One morning a week. Yeah. Okay, and the rest of the time, what does it do? It heats cars. Yeah. Right. So it heats the earth, it captures captures sunlight, and heats up bakes, and sheds bakes our water city. and does all yeah. sorts of bad things. What if we reimagined church parking lots as affordable housing, like Man, attention you, homes? I love it. You're talking my language here because um, I, I actually want to do an episode about this subject. Just, just, just. In fact, I've started going around town. In fact, you Take should <laughs> invite me to that episode. Okay, I'm, I'm, because I'm, I'm, I will, I will, I will amaze you. That's great. I want to talk more about this. Um, I, the I've actually started going around the city, taking photos of empty parking lots, in particular church parking lots, because I feel like, man, uh, what a that's waste. Like, that's like that's like well, also what an opportunity, right? Like, oh, yeah. there's. We just talked about how land is so valuable, and and yeah, yeah. it's under but underutilized. This is the deal about churches. They're they're poor, um, 
money wise, but they're rich property wise. Yes. And they have an exceptional tax situation. Well, and I think I think churches um, in society at large, I don't want to pick on any specific church, but um, they, they're, well, they're, they're well, they're um, they're struggling with relevance. Right. A oh, lot yeah. of people, a lot of people well, just not are, are not are not going. They're so, struggling I, with shrinking membership. Yeah. Because yeah. we're all dying off on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think okay. I, I think so that this yeah, is revenue church, stream. Yeah. If we could encourage churches to um, convert half their parking lot to affordable housing. What a oh my what a, gosh. What a positive way to improve. And then, and then you've got these people that have maybe nothing better to do on Sunday morning, but to come over and, and <laughs> just walk over. Yeah. Your congregation. I mean, that's right. You know, let's let's find out about these nice people who and buy affordable it, housing. It, it slots extremely well with the faith values of charity and compassion. That's right. That's right. Okay, so you got the whole you got the whole tamale here, and there's something else that's really cool. The churches have the ability. There's something called the religious land use and something persons act um i'll remember what the i is but anyway what it says is churches are a community um asset if churches want to develop their land and it um furthers their their faith values then they get a hall pass on zoning. Cool. Oh, <laughs> um, I love that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I think maybe they should still have to, you know, speak with the planning board, but, you know, I, well, I, I think that's- they get that's, a hall pass. Yeah. And, um, and, you the, know, and um, the city knows it. You know, uh, Grace Grace Lutheran Church downtown is uh, making big plans to. Um, oh yeah, I mean they're housing. they're they're knocking it out of the park. Yeah, I, so yeah. I hope if you're on city council, you won't get in the way of uh, that that kind of work. You know, God, God's God's work. Heavens, no, so I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be encouraging it. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. Well, I have this little uh, thread that feels loose that I wanted to circle back on, if you don't mind. Um, you were talking about um, you. You pose this question of how can you have um, infinite profits on a finite planet? Okay. And um, I love that question because it it's sort of you know it's it's sort of absurd the economic model we have where it's like we expect the the markets all the markets to keep growing exponentially mm -hmm. for for the into the future and that that seems that seems unrealistic it and seems not even like a recipe for collapse a me. recipe for collapse <laughs> but 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 one one answer to, to answer the actual question is to put more value on our social connections on our spirituality on our um you know the 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 soft touch things that aren't stuff, you know, um, and you know. So community. for me, our community, yeah. So I mean, for me, it's all about community. When you think about how impoverished we are as a society, in terms of like the isolation and the mental health, you know, mm -hmm. if you just think about uh, prosperity in terms of mental health. Mm -hmm. Then we have so much room for <laughs> for wonderful growth, yeah, yeah. you know. And I'm I think that share goes... something with you. Go ahead. Um, um, paradise built in hell. Have you heard of paradise built in hell? No, so, I love the name though. It's very okay. Rebecca Solnit writes this book, and it opens with the um, um, earthquake in 1906 in San Francisco, and the city's on fire. The people are out in the street. And suddenly they're being very civil to each other because that's all they've got. All they've got is each other. So um, what we're really talking about is community. Yeah, yeah. Okay, in the end. And that community, when our house burned to the ground in 2010, the, the 
the people of Boulder, there were 170 families that lost their homes in the Four Mile Canyon wildfire. The, 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 the good people of Boulder spontaneously said, these people need our help. We are going to take an empty office supply building down on East Pearl, and we're gonna turn it into a drop-off point where you can drop off the kinds of things that people that have lost everything are going to need, like towels, like blankets, like plates, like silverware, like glasses, like just furniture. And, and they did this spontaneously. This is what community looks like, okay? And end of the day, that's what we are building. Okay, so give it all these fancy names, give it a, a job housing ratio, but really what you're building is you're building a healthy, resilient, caring, dignified community. Well, I really appreciate that. Um, we're also we're also kind of bipolar on this issue because we really have inclusive sensibilities. We want to be a welcoming place that's um you know not racist not homophobic or uh xenophobic and, and yet we and, displace and yet, our working middle and and yet we displace you know we yeah, we displace the working middle um and so uh i love this idea of community and inclusiveness but um it isn't it isn't really in tension with the exclusivity of the the really, in my opinion, like the land use policies and the housing policies that really keep people out. So my answer to that is climate change and things like COVID are equitable. It doesn't matter how much money you have. When the power goes out and the water stops flowing, you are as susceptible to a bad time and you are actually more susceptible to not having the services that you are you are accustomed to there's this thing that happened in chicago that just changed it, it was like standing in your front yard and watching a major fire unfold you realize my life will never be the same well I studied, I think that we're going to be facing major heat waves the way the Northwest faced them. It's just yep. a matter of time, okay? And are we prepared? I don't think so, no. okay? So um, I started studying heat waves and what happened. And so there was a heat wave in 1995 in Chicago. It was like four days over 100 degrees. And things just started. It, it was just like this. Um, the city's Rube melting. Goldberg, <laughs> Rube Goldberg um, downward spiral. Okay. But um, they did a study afterward and, you know, they found, okay, yeah, you know, the rich people did, you know, pretty okay. But the Chicano communities, actually outperform the rich people. So how does that happen? Well, the way it happens is they are challenged every day of their lives. So they have built that social capital that you're talking about. They knew where the old people that, that couldn't take care of themselves were, and they made sure that they were taken care of and that they were brought out of their homes and, and made comfortable in the streets and so this to me was eye-opening because when the flood happened, it didn't matter how much money your house was worth, right? Yeah, you, yeah. You, your, your house washed away no matter yeah. how much you had in the bank. So in my mind, the, what we're facing looking forward are great equalizers. So um, 
community then becomes really important. So you have, um, how are you going to do when you can't flush your toilet? You're gonna be like those homeless people that are in the encampment that don't have a toilet. So our disdain for their lack of hygiene, it's gonna visit us. Well, that disdain is also like the flip side of our fear. What, what, yeah, but I, I'm just saying um, we're, we are unprepared. We are yeah. as unprepared for homelessness as the homeless are that are in those camps. Yeah. And we're going to find that out when the services start failing us. And Ooh. think about Louisiana right now. They, you know, they're finally getting power, what, five days after? And and some of them, it will be months. Yep. Okay. And um, imagine your life without power for two months. Yeah. No, it's, uh, that would that would make it difficult for me to work from home, you know? Uh, it, would, it would make a lot of things difficult. Well, so I guess, I mean, our response to that is we need to build robust, uh, diverse, inclusive communities that uh, can- That can, are resilient. That are resilient, absolutely. Well, yes. And, yeah. and, and you know what? I would agree with you. Yeah. 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 And, and not only would I agree with you, I am going to work at encouraging that because it is the right thing. And it is, it, you know, we, 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 we constantly think of these problem populations as problems, but at, at a certain point, they could become assets because they know how to survive. Yeah, I, I, um, diversity is not a touchy-feely, feel-good sort of thing. It's really essential for survival and for resilience um, in the face of uh, and, all the possible calamities. That and, can... and, and, and that other thing that happens, that other, you know, I mentioned it, and, and I think, it, you know, the filter took over. It's kindness. Yeah. It's like after a after a major disruption, like an earthquake, a heat wave, you know, this, that, and the other, there's this kindness that makes community glow. And we don't need, we actually don't need the bad thing to happen to make the kindness glow. No, I think, I think we need, uh, better structures that that bring us to pro-social you know pro-social structures I that think bring we us need together. leadership that values yeah. it yeah that too for sure beautiful I am really enthusiastic about getting some fresh air onto city council yeah and to um, create that diverse mix of perspectives, but more than that, infuse a attitude of deep respect for differing opinion and to try to attempt, our first attempt should be to create bridges over divides rather than stronger walls. Amen. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and we can do this, you know, just, just got to get the um, phony divisiveness and 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 turn it into kindness and we can get we can do this 
Uh, well, uh, we have to because we have a climate a climate crisis. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, breathing down our necks. Absolutely, and um, yeah, I'm I'm one that really um, believes in the precautionary principle, which is if 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 it is at all possible, um, you have to expect that it will happen. And um, yeah, I really, I, I think we're a generation that is actually, we may be the first generation that's turning over a worse planet than what we were given. Yeah. And that is really wrong. And that is um, burdening coming generations. And um, the last thing I want is the unborn to look back and say, wow, what a bunch of chumps. Ask yourself when that, if you're lucky enough to have that grandchild on your, your knee, what you're gonna tell them. Yeah? Yeah, I love it. It's good, that's, that's a good principle to live by. And, and Philip, I'm so um, grateful for the work you do. And say hello to David. Okay. For me. And again, uh, if that you was... want to have further conversations, again, we just. Oh, great. Yeah. You know, we Thank gone, you. I, we I, uh, I, would love, I would love to do that. Thank you. Uh, it was such an interesting and uh, thought provoking conversation. I got totally wrapped up in it. So, really, uh, it, was, great. It's, it was great to get to know you better um, as a person, as a candidate. I wish you all the best of luck in, in, the, in the, the fall, uh, you know, the weeks and months you have coming up until November. So I, I hope that all works out well for you. Okay, man. Okay, peace. Thank you. This episode of Sharing Boulder was produced by David Adamson and Philip Ogren. Sound and video editing was done by Philip Ogren. The intro music was sampled from Osladum, by Gilberto Gill and is available for use under the Creative Commons Sampling Plus license. Please visit us at sharingbowler.us for show notes and previous episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support us by sharing this episode with your friends and family. Keep sharing, Boulder.